0: You're listening to Amazing Discoveries Audio. This is Mind of God with Christopher Hudson. Hi, my name is Brother Christopher Hudson, and I'm so thankful that you can be here with us once again for this special Amazing Discoveries presentation. Now, before we get into the Word of God, as it is my tradition, I want to invite you to have a word of prayer with me. So if you will, let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord God of the universe, we thank you for granting us the privilege to have life. We thank you for granting us the privilege to address you as our Father. And this is all possible because of the sacrifice that you offered on our behalf in giving the life of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we might possess life eternal. I ask that you to cleanse our hearts of our sin. Now please send your Holy Spirit the Comforter, to convict us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, to open our understanding and to lead us in the way of righteousness. Lord, I love your promise in Jeremiah 33 and verse 3, where you said, Call upon me and I will answer thee and I will show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Lord, I'm a feeble man, I don't know anything. So I do pray that you'd cleanse me of all my pride, my self-trust and my self-righteousness and simply that you might use me, that your glory might be made manifest. For these things I pray, and I thank you for hearing this request. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, I'd like to invite you to turn your Bible to the book of Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah, the 29th chapter and we're going to begin at the 11th verse. Once again, we're going to Jeremiah chapter 29, and we're going to begin at the 11th verse. Now, as you're looking in the scriptures with me, I want you to look at the Bible and realize that every word that is being spoken is a word that God is declaring directly to you. I don't want you to look to your left or to your right. I don't want you to be considering your spouse, your children, or any other individual in existence. I'm not asking you to be selfish. I'm asking you, to hone in on the reality that when the Word of God speaks, it first speaks to you. Because God has a message that He wants to communicate to your heart. And if you're considering the Word of God in any other fashion than that He is speaking directly to you, then you'll totally miss the message. We're looking at Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. God says this, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Now, before I talk about that scripture, I have to be very honest with you. For a long time, especially in my younger years, I had a very perverted uh, 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 concept of who God was. I had a very, very corrupt outlook on the character of God. I always used to look at God as this all-powerful tyrant. And if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, then God would strike me down dead. And that's just the perspective that I had in my mind concerning the character of God. But through time and experience, through meditating upon his word, but most of all, through intimately walking with God and giving him the opportunity to reveal himself to me in very practical ways, God has revealed that he is something much greater than anything that I ever conceived of him. You see, here in the book of Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, God says that all the thoughts that he has towards us are thoughts of peace and not of evil. Every thought in the mind of God towards each one of us as individuals all are thoughts of peace and not of evil. Not one evil thought. Not one thought of hatred. Not one thought of vengeance. But simply thoughts of peace and not of evil to give us an expected end. To give you an expected end. And the Bible tells us that God is thinking about giving us an expected end. It's talking about this future that he longs for us to enter into something that he desires from the very depth of his heart for us to lay hold upon. God has great thoughts and desires in his heart for each one of us. He has a future in mind for each one of us. And every thought that courses in his mind, considering you as an individual, is about how he can bring you as quickly as possible into this future, this future existence that he so much desires for you. Thoughts of peace, not of evil. You want to know how numerous these thoughts of God are towards each one of us as individuals? If you go with me in your Bible to the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 139. This is one of my favorite scriptures. Psalm 139. Psalm 139, and I'm going to begin at verse 17. The Bible says this. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Every thought in the mind of God towards us are thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give us an expected end. And if we were to enumerate the thoughts of God that are towards each individual, each one of us, those thoughts for each one of us singularly would be more than the sands that line the seashores. More than the sands that line the ocean floors. My friends, that's powerful. More than the sand that lines the ocean floor. You know what? Humanity has yet to develop an invention, a contraption that can take us to the very depth of the ocean. And if you were to go to the depths of the ocean, you know what would be down there? Sand. And God says that his thoughts for each one of us as individuals number more than the sand, which lets me know that the the depths of the thoughts of the mind of God towards us are beyond our human comprehension. And every last one of them are thoughts of peace, not one thought of evil. Because God so much desires to give you a future that he longs for you to enter into. Before there even was us, God was thinking about us. And if you don't even believe that, All you have to do is go to the book of Revelation chapter 13. In Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8, the Bible says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. (laughs) My friends, before God made this earth, before God made a tree, a blade of grass, a drop of water, before he made the dust out of which he created us, he was thinking thoughts of peace towards us, and therefore he gave the life of his son to die that we might live with him before we even came into existence. It might be hard for you to conceive. I mean, it might, it should be hard. It should be hard for us to actually comprehend that God has more thoughts in his heart towards each one of us than there are grains of sand on the face of planet Earth. You might be thinking, I don't even have that many thoughts towards my own self. And here's the reason why. If if genetics are good to you, if God is good to you, you might live 100 years. One of the oldest individuals on the face of planet Earth just died the other day at least in um, our generations. One of the oldest individuals, I believe the lady was 129 years old. And so for us as human beings, in our finite state of existence, when we think about ourselves, our thoughts can only span uh, the life expectancy that we have as we make our pilgrimage here through this world. But when God is thinking about us, His thoughts do not stop with what he desires for us to be here. His thoughts extend towards what he desires and designs for us to be throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. God's not thinking about what you're going to be a hundred years from now. He's looking at you and he's saying, if that person, if that woman, if this man, if he or she would just lay hold upon my grace, imagine what they could be one billion years from now. Maybe I could send them to another planet to represent me. Imagine what they would be 10 trillion years from now. Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, 10 trillion years is a drop in the bucket in comparison to eternity. And God's thoughts for us, his thoughts, consider what we can be if our lives are hidden in him throughout eternity. He has an expected end that he desires for each and every one of us to lay hold upon. And even before we came into existence, he ensured that we would have the possibility, the opportunity to be with him by providing a sacrifice in his son, Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? When you know that these are the thoughts of the mind of God towards you, that every thought is a thought of peace, not one thought of evil. Doesn't it make sense that we follow the counsel that has been given to us in the book of of Proverbs, chapter 3, beginning at verse 5, where the Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord, and depart from evil. When we come to the place in our life where we realize that God only wants good for us, he is the all-wise, all-powerful, all-knowing God of the universe, then we will indeed trust him with all of our hearts. We will cast away the futility, the worthlessness of leaning upon our own understandings and simply in everything we do, in our eating, in our drinking, in our dressing, in our working, in our seeking after education or career or life partner, in everything we do, we will acknowledge that God has thoughts of peace towards us. His thoughts extend towards eternity for us. He always knows what is best for us and therefore he will always guide us In the right way. In all our ways we will acknowledge him so that he can direct our paths. We will realize it is foolish to ever lean upon our own understanding. My friends, it is not just an exercise in futility to lean upon your own understanding. It's not just worthless For us to trust upon our own finite human understanding, it's actually destructive and detrimental to our existence. You know why? Any time you fall into the trap of leaning upon your own understanding, trusting in your own reasoning and in your own judgment, in your own logic, you are assured to fall into some species of sin. And if you don't believe it, all you have to do is go to Hosea chapter 13, looking at verse 2. Because in Hosea chapter 13, looking at the second verse, the Bible says this, And now they sin more and more and have made them molten images of their silver and idols according to their own understanding. When we lean upon our own understanding the direct result of that will be that we will go into some species of idolatry. That is what the Word of God says. Matter of fact, that message is actually expounded upon in the book of Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, powerful book in the Bible, by the way, I encourage you to read it, the whole book, but Romans chapter 1, Beginning at the 19th verse, Romans chapter 1. Looking at verse 19, I want you to see what the scriptures have to say here concerning this very critical issue. Yes, the Bible says, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them because God has shown it unto them. Now, God is speaking here of those who may know the truth, but they're holding the truth in unrighteousness. And when the Bible says in Romans, that these individuals hold the truth in unrighteousness, it actually means they're withholding God's truth from advancing on planet earth by their unrighteous deeds. And he says they don't have any excuse for conducting themselves in this fashion because they know that God is there. The atheist knows of the existence of God. God says they know I'm here. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them because God himself has shown it unto them. How so? The Bible goes on to say, verse 20, for the invisible things of him are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. God has revealed himself to every intelligent being Through the medium of creation. Through the flower, through the turtle, the bird, the ant, the bee. All of these creations, in their complexity, in their beauty, the very minutest detail associated with each one of them speaks of an intelligent creator. And God knows that through creation, He has revealed Himself. To all humanity. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech. Night unto night showeth knowledge. The Bible says there is no speech nor a language where their voice is not heard. So the person that speaks German, Korean, Swahili, etc., no excuse. Because creation speaks in every dialect, every language. But what do these individuals do after God has given a revelation of himself to them through the medium of creation? Look with me in your Bible again, Romans chapter 1 and verse 21. The Bible says this, Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And what did they do next? And they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and to creeping things. If I was to summarize Romans chapter 1 and verse 23, I would simply say they fell into idolatry. Why? Why? because they began to lean upon their own darkened understanding. My friends, that is what will happen to us when we look within ourselves for the answers for the questions within our lives. And when we erect an idol in our hearts that is in opposition to God, it will truly take the power of divinity to deliver you from that idolatry. Because when an idol is in your heart, you have placed an idol in a temple. An idol in a temple. Matter of fact, let me tell you about what the Bible says about that temple called the heart. In Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9, the Bible says, For the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. It didn't say that the heart is deceitful amongst many things. It says the heart is deceitful above all things. The heart is even more deceptive than the devil himself. If you don't believe that, I'll express it to you in just a few moments. But I always like to say the heart is so deceitful (laughs) that it is a professional in deceiving you to the fact that it's deceiving you heart is deceitful above all things. And if we're honest with ourselves, you know it's true. I said it a moment ago, I'll say it one more time. The heart is even more deceptive than the devil himself because there are some times that the devil will come to you with his temptations and you actually know through experience that what you're going through at that time is a temptation that came directly from Satan himself. But because your flesh is actually desires to participate in that temptation that the devil is presenting to you, you'll begin to come up with different reasonings and excuses within your mind to comfort yourself and make you feel okay with participating in that temptation which you knew came directly from Satan. You'll lie to yourself so that you can feel comfortable in participating in a lie. That's the work of the heart. And unfortunately, many of ourselves, many of us, find ourselves in that predicament right now. There have been marriages that have been contracted on that basis, careers contracted on that basis, whole lifestyles built off of lies. That you've comforted yourself in participating in. Amen. My friends, when we come to that point where we have these idols so fixed within our hearts. Not only will we begin to try to make excuses for our participation in whatever species of idolatry that we've got ourselves caught up in, do you know that we'll actually begin to pray for God to bless us in our sin? We'll pray for God to bless our idol. It's the truth. If you don't believe it, all you have to do is open your Bible to the book of James. James chapter 4. In James chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, the Bible says this. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence? Even of your lusts, which war in your members, ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and ye war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask, here the prayer is now, ye ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your own lust. So here it is that people are praying, but they don't receive answers to their prayers because the Bible declares they are asking amiss. That word amiss in the original Greek language, it actually means that their prayer is diseased. Do you know that you can offer diseased prayers to God? Praying for God to be a participant in your sin. Have mercy. You know, I was at home one day. I get a lot of interesting uh, phone calls because uh, I do a lot of media ministry. I do a lot of videos that I post on social media, and i actually put my my, my number on the internet, and I'll get calls at the most interesting times, you know, 1, 2, 3 a.m. in the morning, people frantic and excited. And I remember this one phone call that I received from a young gentleman. And he called me and he said, you know, Brother, Brother Hudson, you see, know, well, he called me forerunner. He says, really, I I need you to pray for me. I said, okay, that's not a problem. What is it that you need me to pray for you concerning? And he told me there's a young lady that uh, brought me up on charges for rape, sexual assault. I said, wow, that's serious. He says, yeah, my my court date is uh, next week, and I need you to pray for me. that that, that God will deliver me from this situation. Because, you know, what she did is wrong. And then I paused and I asked him the question that I hope is in your mind. I said, well, did you do it? And then he said, well, um, ah, eh. I said, brother, I'm going to pray that God has mercy on you. This young man wanted me to pray for the Lord to deliver him out of a situation that he rightfully, wrongfully, he should not have placed himself in. And now he wants God to be an accomplice to his unrighteousness. My friends, if I began to share examples with you right now, I don't think this program would end. So let me just stop with the examples. It is a fearful thing for us to begin to lean upon our own understanding because when we fall into idolatry, we come so fixated within our we become so fixated within our idolatrous positions that our minds become clouded with deception and we will begin to go to the Bible and look for scriptures to validate our sinful course and we can do such a good job at this that we can begin to clothe sin with a costume of righteousness and the undiscerning eye will look upon it and be deceived. We deceive our own selves. So how do we not fall into this path? You know, there's one principle that I'd like to share with you this evening. I believe that it's a principle that we all really need to have fixated within our minds. It's found in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want you to drop down with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 beginning at verse 12. Paul said... All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. In other words, there are many lawful things for us to participate in or to partake of, but it may not be expedient. It may not be in our immediate best interest. And even when we partake of or or participate in these things that are lawful, We still should not be brought under the power of these things. We still should not allow these things to become like gods in our life, to become idols, to have the mastery over us. And then to expound on this concept, Paul goes on to say, meats for the belly and bellies for the meat, but God will destroy both it and them. Meats for the belly. The word meat there meaning food. Food is for the belly and the belly is for food, but God will destroy both it and them. Okay, each one of us here know that God created food, am I correct? Genesis chapter 1, God made the fruit-bearing trees and the herb of the field to be meat for man, to be food for us. And God clearly gave us a digestive system. God clearly gave us an appetite that is to be satisfied by eating food. So none of these things are unrighteous. All of these things are in harmony with the will of God because Food was produced to satisfy our appetites and our digestive systems were created for the purpose of breaking down food so that we can assimilate it into our bodies so that we can be healthy, living, intelligent organisms. Amen? Amen. Okay. But then God says, I will destroy both it and them. So where's the the disconnect here? If you go with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 51, consider this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 51, the Bible says this. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the Bible says, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. For this corruptible, must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. A day is coming when God will do away with the present order of things as we know it. At the second coming of Jesus Christ, not only will God destroy the wicked, but we are also told That those that are in Jesus Christ, the righteous, will have their mortal forms removed from them or swallowed up, as the scripture goes on to say, and they will then receive immortality or an incorruptible form, which means our bodies as we presently know them will be done away with. They'll be destroyed. Our bodies, that means our eyes, our ears, our mouths, that also means our bellies. Are you with me so far? Then if you go on with me to the book of 1 Peter, I want you to look at this. 1 Peter. 1 Peter. I don't know why I love to say 1 Peter. 2 Peter. Chapter 3, beginning at verse 10. The Bible says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall depart with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burnt up. So at that very same event of the second coming of Jesus Christ, not only will these mortal bodies, including our bellies, be done away with, the Bible also says that the earth and the works therein shall be burnt up. That means the houses burnt up, cars burnt up, money burnt up, electronics burnt up. That also means the trees burnt up, the fruit-bearing trees burnt up, the fruit burnt up, the herb of the field burnt up. Those are all the things that God gave to us for meat, for food. You see, my friends, our bellies as we presently know them, even the meat that God has provided for us, all these things are earthly. They are finite. They are temporal. But God is infinite. God is eternal. And therefore, when we're making decisions in our life, we should always let God who is infinite and eternal be preeminent in our thinking and those things which are temporal, those things which are finite, those things which are earthly, they should be second class in our thinking. The problem in these last days is that we are putting those things that are earthly, temporal, and finite before God who is infinite and eternal. And that will be to our destruction. The Bible literally tells us in the book of Luke chapter 17, beginning at verse uh, 26, I believe it is, that that will be one of the critical issues that will be the means of the destruction of multitudes here in these last days. We're looking at Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, that's correct, beginning at verse 26. The Bible says, And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. For as it was in the days of Noah, they did eat, they drank, They married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that no entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. My friends, do you realize that people are caught up in eating and drinking, appetite? People are caught up in buying and selling, planting and building. These are earthly, temporal, finite things that will be burnt up. Even marrying and giving in marriage, that's an earthly thing as well. The Bible makes it clear in the book of Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, looking at verse 25, Jesus makes this statement. For when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry, neither are given in marriage, but are like the angels that are in heaven. You see, marriage as we know it right now, it is an earthly temporal thing. It shall cease to exist when eternity is ushered in but our minds are so fixated on these earthly things and we make them idols and we put them in the place of God. Do not allow earthly, finite, temporal things to hold places of preeminence within our hearts. That's why our only hope is to trust in the Lord with all our hearts. Never lean upon our own understanding. In all our ways acknowledge him and he shall direct our paths. You know, that's exactly the way that Jesus lived his life. Jesus lived his life in this precise fashion. I want you to see it from your Bibles. Go with me to the book of Luke, Luke, the third chapter. Watch this very closely. Jesus did not live his life according to the fallen human flesh that he inhabited. Jesus did not live his life selfishly unto himself. Jesus lives his life according to the will of God. See, the Bible tells us here, Luke chapter 3, beginning at verse 21, the scripture says this. Now, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying The heavens were opened, and the Holy Ghost descended in bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son. In thee I am well pleased. Now, consider what's going on here. Jesus was baptized, he begins to pray. After he prays, the Spirit of God descends upon him. Then a voice comes from heaven. It's obviously the voice of the Father. And the father declares, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That prayer that Jesus Christ presented to his father, we know it was not a selfish prayer. It wasn't one of those diseased prayers. He did not pray amiss. He wasn't asking for something to satisfy fallen human flesh. He was praying for something that was harmonious with the will of God. How do we know this? The Bible tells us that when he prayed, the first thing the father said Thou art my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the scripture declares in Romans chapter 8 and verse 8, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Therefore, we can know of a certainty, Jesus was not operating according to the flesh. Jesus was operating according to the Spirit. We know of a certainty that he was operating according to the guidance of the Spirit because God the Father once again declared, This is my beloved Son. And the Scriptures declare in Romans chapter 8 and verse 14, So then they that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So Jesus is being led by the Spirit. He's not allowing his flesh to govern him. He's not leaning upon his own understanding. In all his ways, he's acknowledging the Father to direct his paths. And where was he led now by the Spirit? (laughs) The Bible tells us in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Then was Jesus led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward, he was a hungered. My friends, now I know that many of you here are familiar with those words. I know many of you are familiar with those verses of Scripture, but I want you to consider them right now. How many of you have been baptized before? Or have had the experience of seeing another individual baptized? It's a joyous occasion. It's a very happy occasion when somebody departs from the world and gives themselves wholly into the hands of the Savior of all mankind. That's a joyous occasion. Many times, there's a special dinner that might be held afterward. People receive gifts at their baptism, flowers, nice Bibles with their names and gold letters on them. I mean, all these types of wonderful things. It's a joyous occasion. The church usually rejoices. How many of you have ever been at a baptism or at your personal baptism after you came out of the baptismal pool, after you came out of the waters and the people came to you to extend the right hand of fellowship then you look someone in the eyes and said, okay, I'm sorry, I can't stay for much longer. Uh, I have to go now. Um, I'm going to the wilderness. I'm going to be in the desert for the next 40 days and 40 nights fasting uh, without any food and uh, I will be tempted of the devil there. I have to go. Is that something that would come up in somebody's average human understanding to do? Think about this. As a human being, that doesn't sound like a decision that you would want to make for yourself. And this wasn't a decision that Jesus made for himself. Because the Bible tells us that he was led of the spirit into the wilderness. Why would Jesus follow the directions of the Spirit of God to go into the wilderness, to fast for 40 days and 40 nights, and to be tempted of the devil? Why would he follow those directions to place himself in a position of suffering? You know why he did it? Because he understood what God wants us to understand right now. That every thought of the mind of God towards each one of us are thoughts of peace and not of evil to give us an expected end. My friends, Jesus went into the wilderness, maybe not fully comprehending all that was going to take place. Maybe not fully comprehending how he would be physically physically sustained. In a 40-day and 40-night fast. But what he did know was that his father only had thoughts of peace towards him and not one thought of evil to bring unto him an expected end. And because he trusted the heart of God, he followed. Do you trust the heart of God? Sometimes we find ourselves in predicaments and situations. Do you trust the heart of God? We find ourselves in scenarios that we can't understand, we can't comprehend, we can't reason our way through, we don't know how to navigate with our little puny human minds. But, my friends, if we do not bring ourselves into crisis by our own decisions, but if we're walking on day by day in our relationship lovingly with the Lord, and perchance, crisis comes upon us. We should not flinch. We should not draw back. We should not take our hands out of the hands of the Father. We need to lean more heavily upon the arm of God and trust Him. And in all our ways, allow Him to direct our paths because God wants us to be fully convinced that every thought that He has towards us is a thought of peace, not one thought of evil to give you an expected end. There's a crisis coming upon the face of planet earth. We're told in Revelation chapter 13 that when the mark of the beast is issued, people will be put in the predicament where they can neither buy nor sell if they do not receive that mark. And unfortunately, many, because they have not learned in their daily experience to trust in the Lord with all of their hearts, never leaning upon their own understanding, in all their ways to acknowledging Him, allowing Him to direct their path. when that issue of the mark of the beast descends upon them, descends upon us, they'll begin to start looking within and saying, God doesn't want me not to have a job right now. If I don't have a job, I won't have money. I have children here in my home. God has made me to be the provider for my household. He wants me to be a good husband. He wants me to be a good mother. He doesn't want my children to suffer and die. If, if, if if I don't take the mark, then I'm going to lose my job. Then I'm not going to have money. Then I can't provide for my children. And then in essence, I'm going to be murdering my children because they depend on me to feed them. And God said, thou shalt not kill. Do you see how the human mind can deceive you? That's how the human reasoning will deceive you into feeling comfortable to going along with Satan's temptations. Making it appear as though your disobedience is righteousness. And many people will take the mark of the beast on that very premise. But then others, others who have come to that position in their communion with the Lord, that they know they can trust him, even with life itself. They will say, I don't know how I'll eat. I don't know how I'll drink. I don't know what's going to happen in the next hour concerning myself or my family, but I trust God. I know he only has thoughts of peace towards me. And if he deems it imperative for me to suffer for a season, then he's doing it for my eternal good and for the salvation of my family. My friends, we must trust God with all of our hearts because all he has is thoughts of peace towards us and not of evil to give us a future that he longs for us to have. Do you trust him? Are you willing to trust him? My prayer for you is that you'll put your life in the hands of God and trust in the mind of Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much that we can trust you. You've never failed us. It's impossible for you to fail us. And every thought that you have towards us is a thought of peace. And so my prayer is that you would help each one of us to stop leaning upon our understanding. Give us the grace, the power that we need to surrender our idols and to worship you, the living God, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our might. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If this episode impacted you, Please share it with others. Amazing Discoveries is a donor-supported ministry. To help us keep producing content like this, visit amazingdiscoveries.org. And, as always, you can find the visual presentation of this episode on adtv.watch.